airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Monday. It's great to be with you. Mm -hmm. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And, um, Will, I I, I think there's a lot of ground that we want to cover today. Um, Yeah. I guess maybe that's the case most of the days. um, But I just (laughs) know that there's a lot between the two of us that we're going to want to say on this topic that we're discussing today. And uh, so I just want to jump right into it, unless, unless there are other announcements and things that we need to make our listeners aware of. Uh, I don't want to speed through that, um, mm-hmm. so I'll just I'll just yield to you. Is there anything that I may be forgetting before we just out of the gate go? Uh, no, I can't think of anything. I just want to call people's attention to marriagefamilylife.net. That's the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still are planning to uh, have the, the conference uh, for mm-hmm. those who want to attend. So if you want to register, you can get all the information at marriagefamilylife.net. You'll be hearing more about that this is happening june 25th through the 27th yes the last weekend in june the last weekend in june June. um so just wanted to put that out there and uh you can uh, send us a a message also you can follow us on on facebook at airing the addisons we try to update that page with stories and different Mm -hmm. things and so um other than that we're straight Okay, so this article you uh, called my attention to, I want to say maybe a few weeks back, our brother Abraham, uh, public policy analyst here and host of the Hamilton Corner, emailed us uh, a story that there was a conference, I think, that was coming up, (laughs) a secret conference to discuss the problem (laughs) that is homeschooling um, in America and maybe what some people might do about it. Now, of course, um, our listeners may be familiar with uh, the fact that we homeschool our children And uh, we've done that for the last five, maybe six years, six years, six Mm -hmm. years, because I keep track of things based on the child, the ages. (laughs) (laughs) So we started when Nathaniel was born. Uh, So for the last six years, we've homeschooled our children. And it wasn't a decision that we made lightly. It was not something that was automatic for us. We've done shows talking about that. I don't so much want to focus on that as much as I always want to focus on the sinister intent behind a culture that sets its sights on what Christians are doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That's all I want to do. Yep. That's all I want to do. And, uh, and we could do future shows and we probably will continue to do this because it's a part of our lives. Uh, welcome to Aaron, the Addison's uh, homeschooling our kids and raising them to fear and to love the Lord and to know that he is real and that they can stand for Jesus Christ in their generation. That's Amen. what we're doing. Amen. That is what we're doing. Okay. And in addition to that, we teach them all the other subjects too. Right. <laughs> okay. But that's the first thing that we're doing. Yes. I just want people to first know. And all right. That's right. And, um, and so people say, well, you know, we just don't want to give into the whole thing. Like, don't lead so much with that because, you know, people say that you're just indoctrinating your kids. We're like, oh, I'm glad you get sure. it. Sure. Yeah. That's what we're doing. What, what is it? We're giving them sound doctrine. What is the world yeah. trying to do? And, and what's the world <laughs> trying to do? <laughs> I mean, oh, man. Be- better us than them. 
So Harvard, Harvard University, um, not to be confused with the school that Will graduated from, which is very similar. <laughs> Harvard on the Bayou. That's Harvard on the Bayou. Yeah. Harvard on the Bayou. Shout out. Nicholas uh, State. No diplomas, just gumbo is what you get <laughs> ah. when you're done. Um, but anyway, so 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 Harvard has uh, trained its sights on on homeschooling families and homeschoolers in the United States of America. Now, this is very sinister and, and we're going to break it down. But before we do that. What we want to do often is provide a biblical backdrop for any position that we take in culture. Mm-hmm. Okay. We always want to do this, you know, because we, we say, we say we don't want to just tell people what we're against. Right. We don't want to just show up when it's something that we don't like. We want to be able to live a consistent life as Christians yes. in 21st century America, wherever it is that you're living, living as a faithful Christian there. You want to be doing that, occupying. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so we want to find ourselves um, most effectively doing this by living it out. Right. Living it out. Right. So before we go into our our discussion for today, Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit like, you know, hot off the press. I'm like, let's go. Let's talk about this. (laughs) Um, So the risks of homeschooling is the article that's in the May, June issue of this Harvard magazine. okay, or Harvard Journal, whatever, uh, you know, something upper crust, whatever they call it. Mm, Harvard magazine. Okay, there you go. So (laughs) so we we have this article where um, the question is whether or not. Home, well, actually, it's not even a question. It really is just a long-form assertion that homeschooling is dangerous. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. It seems like as if it's it's pontificating on whether or not, you know, well, should we be concerned no, about these No, it's not a question in here. No, it's I really don't see not. any questions in it's here. It's really not. It's just a long-form <laughs> assertion that homeschooling is dangerous and it should be regulated. And, and actually, if – and I'm going to just jump into the end for you here. And actually, homeschooling should be regulated – but then also, there should not be as many homeschoolers as there are. About 3 to 4% of school-aged children in the United States are homeschooled. And so that's a problem for people at Harvard. And essentially what this article posits is that if a parent is going to homeschool, not only should that be an exception, but the burden of being worthy of homeschooling your kids should be on the parent. In mm. other words, you've got to present that you're smart enough, that you're good enough, and that people like you. To be able to homeschool your kids. Okay, mm. so that's what Harvard, that's what Harvard is asserting. Before I get into the weeds of that article, and we'll take some et- excerpts from that article, we'll look at it. Um, I want to talk about why parents parent their children. Okay. And that seems like a simple question. Like, why they do parents to. Oh, no. That's not see, that's not the and answer. that's why you're not in this that's magazine. You see, that's not, you know. <laughs> You saw I said New Orleans style because they pose to. Because they pose to. Um, <laughs> I'll just, I, at this point, to all of the Harvard people listening, I just like to say I assume the primary role of educating the children. Uh, well, please don't get our kids taken away from us on this on, live man. broadcast. Like, see, that's what we're talking about. Right there. Did you hear what the man said? Pose to. What does pose to mean? Um, we all understand down in New Orleans what he meant. Okay. <laughs> right. Here, here's the thing. Why do why do parents why do parents parent their children? It seems a simple question and it and it can seem automatic. But there is work that is done in that, right? And so in order for us to have a proper backdrop because I want people to understand why it is that when a person says we need greater influence over the children of this country. There is something more sinister in that assertion than meets the eye. Okay. Mm. What it is, is, is it is a rolling back 
of parental rights, right? So that you can have ultimate influence. Mm. Children get baptized going through government schools. Guys, that's just fact, okay? You think about it. Look, Will the Great and I talk about this all the time, the things that we learned and we picked up in school. Mm -hmm. We all come out on the other side and we're all supposed to know and have learned the same things, right? So who's the gatekeeper of what you're supposed to know and have learned by the time you finish 12th grade? Who, who's, is it your parents that decide <laughs> that? Nope. Sure is not. Hmm. Sure is not. You got a coalition of people. You got government influence people who are sitting around a table deciding what curriculum is going to be used at that particular school, deciding what kids are supposed to know. And so as the culture changes and as people decide that this is the new way we look at this, then you have curricula that changes, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so then children are now supposed to demonstrate that they have mastered what the culture mm. has decided is important. Just think about this, yeah, guys. You can yeah, say what you away. want, but you know that this is the truth, okay? So, so you, the parent, you are not determine, determining what your kids should be learning. You are only overseeing the fact that they learn what has already been determined that they're supposed to learn. That's all you're doing. That's mm -hmm. all you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're saying, okay, you got it. Now let's move on to the next thing they have said you're supposed to get. Come on. You're not, you're not determining that. You're not deciding what your kid needs, right? So let me say this. In Malachi chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, this is so important. I think that it may be one of those grossly overlooked scriptures, and it should not be one of those grossly overlooked scriptures. It's very a very small passage in the Bible here, but we understand that everything that's written in the scripture is written for our learning, right? Yeah. So Amen. in Malachi, you have the priests who are divorcing their wives and marrying these women of these false gods, right? These foreign women, so to speak. And so the Lord through the prophet Malachi is chastising these priests and he's saying, you know, why have you done this? Why? In, 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 in other words, why have you profaned this holy institution that I have given you? Mm -hmm. Right. So Malachi chapter two, verse 10, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to go back to the point that I think is so instructive for us as parents. It's instructive for us as husbands and wives that we understand what God is doing when he makes the two one flesh and then allows for children to be born into that union. Mm. It is not a small thing, guys. It is. That's why Satan wants to wreak havoc on your marriage. Come on. Now. That's why Satan wants to mar the picture of marriage. It's a picture of Christ in the church. It's a covenant that the Lord has given. And it's illustrating something that is profound, to say the least. Malachi chapter two. And, and I hope that you'll see by the time we get to the break here what all this has to do with being concerned about someone or an institution setting its sights on homeschoolers. Mm. Malachi chapter two, verse 10. Have we not all one father has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. This is why we fight so hard for marriage. The Lord tells us that this is his holy institution, right? Mm. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who has done this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. 
You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15. And this is where I want to focus. Verse 15. Malachi chapter two. But did he not make them one having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Mm. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Why does the Lord despise what you've done? Because he was showing you through this covenant the two becoming one, that in this union, he desires godly offspring, not just offspring, not just the next generation, but a godly next generation. Hmm. So when we talk about the responsibility that we have as parents, it's not to be um, booted aside or punted to the next person who maybe can, you know, pick up the scraps and maybe do something here or there. It's something for us to feel the weight of. We're not married to each other, those of us who are married, just because we like each other mm -hmm. or because we get goosebumps. Right. <laughs> right? right. There is a purpose and there is a mm -hmm. reason that we enter into a covenant together. One, it is a picture of Christ and the church. The Lord is showing us what he has done. The Lord is showing us what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Right. But two. We become one flesh. And this is why if you continue on in the passage, verse 16 says, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, not because he wants you to be miserable and suck it up. <laughs> no, because this is a oneness that he has created, endeavoring that we should produce godly offspring in that union. And the focal point of what I want to say today about that is that you don't produce godly offspring by wishing they were so. Mm, that's so true. That's work. Right. That's time. That's intentionality. That's right. That's focus. That's discipline. That's discipleship. That is sacrifice. Mm. And this article from Harvard expressly says that, you know what? You could send kids off for seven or eight hours, five days a week, and that's not going to affect the teaching that they would get from a religious perspective. They intentionally go after Christians in this article. Mm. Upwards of 90% of Christians are homeschooling their kids. Oh, <laughs> we're going to talk about why they can't have that. I think you already know at this point why they can't have that. This is Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We're outside, which means we'll go in. Stay close. Donald writing for um, Harvard Magazine, the article, The Risks of Homeschooling, the May-June issue of Harvard Magazine. She quotes from one of her Harvard colleagues, Elizabeth Bar Bartholet, 
Bartholet, mm-hmm. uh, Wasserstein. And uh, the article reads this way in part, and we'll kind of, you know, pick it up and, and go in and out of it, have a discussion around some of the the failed points that she makes. Uh, look, I'm not intimidated that you have Harvard attached to your credentials. You're wrong. And <laughs> right. I understand what your motives are. Like, I mean, I, I, I you know, you, University of Louisiana. We're smart, too. I think that's Amen. I think that's the motto. University of Louisiana. <laughs> we're, smart we're smart, too. too. That's I think that that's I have funny. it on a bumper sticker. Anyways. Homeschool kids, the article reads. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American <laughs> Family Radio. Views and opinions are our own. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and as Cherie Jones Moffitt, renewed. Homeschooled kids now account for roughly 3 to 4% of school aged children in the United States, a number equivalent to those attending charter schools um, and larger than the number currently in parochial schools. Yet Elizabeth Bartholet. Wasserstein, public interest professor of law and faculty director of the law school's child advocacy program, sees risks for children and society in homeschooling and recommends a presumptive ban on the practice. Man, they go whole hog. Like they don't even wait. They're like, let's go all the way in. Let's shut it down. That's in the second paragraph. And I know what a paragraph is because, you know, I went to UL. <laughs> and that's the thing. So, you know, so yeah. a lot of times we like to deal in increments and like incremental. <laughs> like let's let's go slowly. Just make slow man, But the, the wicked, they're like, nah. They go whole hog. <laughs> let's go ahead so and shut they, this down. They recommend a presumptive ban on the practice, right? Homeschooling, <laughs> she says, not only violates children's right to a meaningful education. Wow. I, I would uh, debate with her on that. Man, I want to say her. Let me just say this, guys. And I'm not a debater. so Man, but that's okay. I'd be, I, I'd be yeah, in the audience. Back? Okay. Yeah, I would, I would. I would. I would. And I try not I'll to. I'll put you, you know, and Abraham Hamilton the third. Y'all, y'all, y'all got my oh, back. Oh, man. Look. <laughs> I want to say her name like we say people's names when they're in trouble in New Orleans. I want to say Elizabeth. <laughs> right. Elizabeth, man. girl, like, don't on, even man. make me a meaningful education. Do you understand how condescending that is? Mm. Do you understand? Okay, so here we go. They want to make sure that kids have a meaningful education and homeschooling is violating their right to that, their right to a meaningful education. Mm-hmm. And this article says the right to be protected from potential child abuse. Hmm. Hmm. They also say, Elizabeth, and this this other woman from Harvard, I'm just going to call them Harvard one and Harvard two. Right. They also say that um, it violates a child's right to be protected from potential child abuse and then con- uh, may contribute to them uh, not being able to positively contribute to a democratic society. Wrong. Now, you know, I hate to I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to like go tit for tat with them. You know, but it's very tempting to do so. Right. Right. Because how many stories now, listen, and guys, I hate to say this, but there's they're painting with a broad brush. So to paint over this mess, I'm, I got to use the same kind of brush. Yeah. All right, I'm sorry. All right. I got to say I'm not I'm roller. not coming in. I'm not coming in with an edge brush use when they're roller. using a roller. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? So here I'm going with one of the big fuzzy ones. Yes. So so listen. So they want to come in and say that, you know, a kid who is homeschooled, essentially there is the possibility, very real possibility that this child could be abused. And we have no way of knowing this. How many stories do we read about children who are abused at school in the in 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 the care um, of people that we trust Mm -hmm. in the care of people that those children trust? And don't we have recent stories of this happening where for years 
um, I don't know, gymnasts were abused by mm. people in what we would call a public sphere, mm. right? Where That's they true. were entrusted to, the, to these people by their parents, expecting that they meant well for them, all right? So it is not automatic that because a kid is homeschooled that that kid may be a victim of abuse. They give one anecdotal story, which I really believe is beneath, like, a scholarly approach to this for, you know, someone with Harvard in their credentials. They give one anecdotal story of a girl who was homeschooled and made to work on her dad's scrapyard farm or something and only learned how to read, right? And, and see, you see? <laughs> Right. You see that? So that's all that's, that's all homeschoolers right there. That's right. what they that's right. what that's, they're saying. That's it. You see this girl this here what on the scrapyard farm? You man. see what happened to her? Come on, man. Boom. Presumptive ban. Presumptive ban. Anyway, they go on to argue in this article that one benefit of sending children to school at age four or five is greater government control. No, they don't say that. I'm sorry. They don't say that. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> that's the real reason. That's yep. Okay, Mm -hmm. they don't say that. They say one of the benefits (laughs) of sending children to school at age four or five is that teachers are mandated reporters required to alert authorities to evidence of child abuse or neglect. And listen, I don't I don't deny that. I wouldn't argue with that. I'm so grateful to God for the teachers who have intervened, who've noticed that something's not right. You know, Mm -hmm. something's going on Mm -hmm. here. That's reality. Yeah. But that does not mean that because a kid is homeschooled. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That there's no line of defense that there's. And then there is also this assumption that is made in this article that homeschool kids live day in and day out without any exposure to the sun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, y'all. You know, being unsocialized, you understand, not having any interaction with anyone who would ask questions if they suddenly went missing. Right. I mean, this idea is a caricature of what homeschooling is. Many times when you talk about a homeschooling culture or homeschooling community, you're talking about being interconnected and active in your church community. Mm -hmm. You're talking about kids who take lessons, kids who go to different therapies and things like that. They're Mm -hmm. involved in society. Right. That have regular interaction with people where it would be obvious that there's something not right. Mm -hmm. But I think that there are these automatic assumptions, which honestly I dislike. Yeah. Right. I dislike like these questions we've we've had. um, Well, anyway, that might be a little (laughs) bit self-indulgent. Let's just stick to the script here. Let's just stick (laughs) to the script here. Um, I mentioned this anecdote that they include in this article, Harvard one and Harvard two, where they're talking about this one woman, Tara Westover. And I'm not making light of her um, her situation at all. I don't think that because it's one anecdote that they use that it should be dismissed. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's quite telling that when digging down deep to find the instances of abuse among homeschoolers, that they go to this memoir written by this one woman that's like probably worst case scenario. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Here is the, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, homeschooling, and I would say even charter schooling is a threat to traditional government schooling. Right. And why is it? Because there's autonomy. Because there are people in place who say, you know what? Kids are not learning well according to this generic standard that you have laid out for them. I mean, I just, if I could just share here just for a moment. So I started homeschooling um, when I guess, Gabby, what was she like, six? 
maybe she was yeah. seven. I, I can't remember. Somewhere around there, six six, six years old. And um, and there was a discussion about, hey, we we may need to put Gabby in special ed, right? Mm-hmm. Because she struggles with dyslexia. So the words, the letters reversed and things. And so there's a little bit of a hurdle there for her. However, let me say this. What she struggles with in the area of reading and and being able to keep the words steady on a page, she excels at in math and science. I mean, her (laughs) brain is just extraordinary. And my child said something to me in the years that we've been homeschooling. And I, I just want parents to understand this. When you sit down with your child and, you know, you've been told things about your child and you accept those things, you haven't really seen it for yourself. You just you say, well, this must be true because, you know, the people who have all the authority and the people who are smarter than me have said it. So it just must be true. Right. And then you have your child say, you know, I didn't know I was smart. Mm. Guys, that's a gut punch. Mm-hmm. That is a gut punch for a kid to say. I didn't know that I could do these things because I was put in a classroom with 20 to 25 other kids and we're all expected to learn the same way and to get it at the same rate and to move on Yeah, at the same rate. Yeah. And so then, you know, and, and Lord bless every parent who decided to tough it out with common core because I went to sit (laughs) in one of those small desks Okay, I went to sit in one of those little chairs (laughs) where parents are going to learn the new math. I'm sorry. You know, God reveals something in his character in math, Mm. something about his immutability that he has fixed, that there are something some things that just don't change. Math is one of those things, guys. That's why we have (laughs) equations. That's why we have formulas. Right. Because there is something fixed about math. Why do we need to change the way we do math? And not only do the kids not understand it. The but parents. the parents have to. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I thank I thank God for <laughs> the parents who were in my class when I went to learn new math. This is a true story, guys. I went to learn new math, and sitting there with with this one dad who said, "Now listen," he said, "Look, I'm smart." He said, "My kid doesn't get it, but I don't get it either." Guys, this was uh, second grade. Second grade. <laughs> Let me just. This is second grade math. And you, and you turn to the teacher and you say, why do we have to teach them to do it this way? Right. This makes no sense. And you know what the teachers say? Look, we don't like it either. But this is the new standard. This is the way we have to do it. So Harvard 1 and Harvard 2 are saying that we need to send all of our kids through this of education. Mm-hmm. Let me double back to that. We need to send our kids through this conditioning that is K through 12 education. The problem is many parents look at education today as if it remains the type of education that they themselves received. Where we went, we learned reading, we learned writing, and we learned arithmetic, right? Mm. No, today our kids are being socialized. They are being discipled right from under our roofs and it's happening every day as they point out in this article, for seven to eight hours a day. What difference does that make? What difference does that make to the religious right, (laughs) as they call us in this article? What difference does that make? You can still you can still teach your kid your faith and, you know, raise them according to your religious beliefs. But give us seven to eight hours Mm. a day. 
That's what they say in this article. Why can't we have? I want you to think about the type of hubris that that is. Now, look, for parents who say, no, I'm I've got it. We are discipling. We are training our kids and our kids are in a traditional school setting and they are excelling and I don't have any problems. Then you know what? This conversation really is not for you. And I mean that respectfully. This conversation is not for you. But for the many parents who are frustrated who feel like now looking back at the first graduating class who was, you know, to matriculate through the common core <laughs> curriculum all across this country and to understand the numbers show that those kids are dumber. <laughs> and I don't mean, I don't mean that to be ugly. Yeah. Those kids are dumber. Yeah. So for those parents who are saying, man, I second that I got, I see that. I see that. I see that my kid can't do simple math. Like I could do simple math at this same age, then what I'm saying is this is not about math. I'm saying, because think about it. If you mm -hmm. really want the kid to excel, then you'd want the kid to have the type of curriculum that works best for That's them. That's right. That's right. But if it's all about cookie cutting our kids right. and making sure that our kids have the same beliefs, the same philosophical bent, right? The same ideology, then they've got to all be baptized in the same and that, culture. And that's the threat. That's the threat. That's why, and that's why they pointed out in this article about uh, Christians. And, mm -hmm. they, and, they, and they said, like, they have extremist views. And some, you know, that the threat is that they will lose their power of indoctrination over a large group of uh, yes. children that will be brought yes. up and discipled in the way of the Lord. The, they, they, the threat is even more like Christian homeschoolers than it's just homeschooling in general. Absolutely. Although homeschooling is, is, is a threat, too, because there's a lot of people that, you know, may, may not be Christian who homeschool that don't want their children increasingly. to be. Increasingly. But the Christian homeschoolers are the ones that's like, oh, and they're teaching, in, teaching them this worldview that's against what we're talking about. So we mm -hmm. can't have that. And that is a threat. Listen, um, from the from the journal article that they, they write here, Harvard's one and two. In a paper pub published recently in the Arizona uh, Law Review, um, parents are choosing to homeschool for an array of reasons. Some find local schools lacking or want to protect their children from bullying. That's another mm -hmm. reason why parents are pulling their kids out of school. Others do it to give their children the flexibility to pursue sports and other activities at a high level. And, and look, all of those reasons, I think they would be okay with. Yeah. But here is where the music goes dark. <laughs> but surveys of homeschoolers show that a majority of such families, by some estimates, up to 90 percent mm -hmm. are driven by conservative Christian beliefs and seek to remove their children from mainstream culture. I'm one of them. Look, <laughs> I'm trying to remove. Shh, look, shh, <laughs> hey, <don't tell>. <laughs> <laughs> man, have no. you seen mainstream culture? Like, My I'm like, goodness. come on, man. Yes. <laughs> so this is this is what <laughs> this is what they say. Don't bring him up as a witness, guys. Um, this is what they say. Children should grow up exposed to democratic values, ideas about non-discrimination and tolerance of other people's viewpoints. Now, isn't that interesting in an article that's saying there should be a presumptive ban on homeschooling that oh. we're saying children need to grow up tolerant of other people's viewpoints? Unless you're a Christian. Right. <laughs> we don't that, tolerate. We your all viewpoint. know that that's not a legitimate viewpoint. We all understand that that's just crazy hysteria, right? This article goes on, and I, I, I hear the music, so we're going to have to pick up on the other side of the break here. But looking at what this article says, 
if you want to give your kid any type of um, religious education, you don't need 24-7 to do that is ultimately what they arrive at. You don't need 24-7 to be able to do that. You don't need total authoritarian control over your children from age zero to 18, they say in this article. We'll grab the break and we'll be right back. Should parents um, no longer have the right to homeschool their children? Um, Is that a threat to our culture, homeschool kids? I mean, is that really going to cause our our society to crumble, that kids are not all um, trained in exactly the same way? Um, Is this going to be the future epidemic of kids sleeping on park benches, that they are not going to be able to be gainfully employed, which is a point. Uh, not not using the, the, the point of sleeping on park benches, but this article, Harvard's one and two, point out that, you know, kids need to be ready and able to get jobs. And they're just not sure that homeschool kids are going to be able to do that. Kids who are educated at home, we don't know if they're going to be ready to be gamefully employed. Let me read one um, other um, paragraph from this article. And then I want to switch to another article that um, I read back in December of uh, of last year. It was a Breitbart article that looked at homeschooling moms as like the leaders of the revolution um, in today's culture. Hmm. So I, I want to do that real quick, and then we'll go to the phone lines. 888-589-8840. This article here from Harvard. Um, Bartholet maintains that parents should have, quote, very significant rights to raise their children with the beliefs and religious convictions that the parents hold, but requiring children to attend schools outside the home for six or seven hours a day, she argues, does not unduly limit parents' influence on a child's views and ideas. And that's not true. That's not true. Right. I, I, I could continue on with this. And, and man, boy, let me just let me continue on and then we'll go in. The issue is, do we think that parents should have 24 seven essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages zero to 18? I think that's dangerous, Bartholet says. I think it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority. But isn't that what you guys yeah, are after? That's what they that's what do. You guys, that's the kind of government you want to have. And I'm looking at the Bible. We have given the, been given the authority because we are <laughs> parents, you know. And it's, they, it's not something you have to earn. It's not something that you have to establish. This is how God has designed the family. This is the authority that we walk in. And as to the question about time and as to the question about, you know, whether or not a kid, you know, outside of your home for six to seven hours a day, I'll leave that up to each individual parent to decide. But I'll tell you this, the warning that the Lord gave to his people when he brought them out of bondage. Let me just say Deuteronomy chapter six. And these words, which I command to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the door post of your house and on your gates. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you need to tattoo anything on your face. But what I think the Bible here (laughs) is communicating to us that an incredible amount of time is required. That as you are living your life and as you are going. And this is what look, this is what I say to parents. We need to make sure that we are crediting our kids accounts before there are debits made. Too often we are sending them out and there are debits made to their account and they don't have it in the bank. Mm. They don't have it in the bank. All right. So when they get back to your house at the end of the day, you're looking at NSF. Mm. NSF. It's not sufficient. Like they they can't do it because they've not been effectively trained to deal with the onslaught of the culture. So when you say send me your kid at four or five. And then you're saying to that same kid that, you know what, a boy can be a girl. Mm. Or a girl can be a boy, or they can be neither. Come on. And then you want to send them back to my house and say, now go ahead with your little religious teaching before you make dinner. And go ahead with your religious teaching before you tuck them in at night. That's enough because I've had them for six or seven hours. I've had the best part of them for today. So you go ahead with what is left over. And now if you (laughs) want to make deposits on that, you go ahead. But I've already got what I wanted, which is your ready mind. Your pliable mind. Now, guys, I'm telling you, as as Christians, this is what we have to consider. What stands right now, right now, you've got kids on the other side of you in picket lines, right? You've got kids on the other side who are warring against you, who all of a sudden you don't recognize. You're saying, wait, why do you have what, what happened to the values that I raised? And they're, and, and they're saying, no, because we, we, you're hypocritical. Mm. Because we found something better. And what's the better? And how do they get access to all of that? Because while you think that you're building and laying a foundation, someone else is coming behind you. Yeah. Or in this case, in front of you <laughs> and <laughs> wiping out sight. the foundation. Yeah. Yes. In plain sight. In, yeah. Let me do this. I know we need to go to the phone lines, but mm-hmm. I want to read to you this because this is something that I think will encourage you. There was an interview that was done on uh, Sirius XM's Breitbart's uh, News Tonight. And um, it was with a man named C. Bradley Thompson, who's a professor of political science um, at Clemson University. He's also the author of the book, America's Revolutionary Mind, A Moral History of the American Revolution. Find it. All right. And this is what this man, C. Bradley Thompson, said in this article. This is back in December of 2019. And I'm going to scroll down here to the end of the article. But this is what he says. Listen here. And then we'll go to the phone lines. Mm hmm. The reigning intellectual and moral orthodoxy of American intellectual life, American universities, would be the twin towers of moral relativism and nihilism. You know what nihilism is? Nihilism says that there's no objective meaning or purpose or value in life. Mm. You know that our kids are being taught that? You know that moral nihilism says that morality doesn't even exist at all because it, it gives this feeling of that there's some sort of absolute. Our kids are being taught that. But I'll continue with this quote here. The idea here and the goal of the left over the last 50 or 60 years has been this what? Long march through the institutions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And what have they tried to do? In fact, he says they've done it quite successfully is to take over America's cultural institutions, particularly education, particularly K through 12 education mm. and colleges and universities. And that's where the real battle is. He says this. It's a battle of ideas. Mm. I'm almost done. 
Thompson continued, unfortunately, I think too many libertarians and conservatives and classical liberals invest too much time in politics. Whereas John Mm. Adams and Thomas Jefferson believe that what really is the underpinning, the soul of a nation is how we educate our children. That's the core issue. Mm. And so whoever controls the schools and now also the universities will control the culture. Mm. And I'll wrap up with this and then we'll go to the phone lines. As Andrew Breitbart once said, politics is downstream from culture and culture is downstream from the universities. And so if we lose the battle for the universities and our schools K through 12, then we find ourselves in a very difficult position, warned Thompson. Mm. 888-589-8840. And if you think... If you think that the Harvard elites don't know that, oh man! If you think that they don't know that the homeschooling moms are leading the revolution, if you think they don't know that, you're sorely mistaken, and you're ill-equipped for the battle that we're in. Because if you've got a group of kids who will stand up and say, "I disagree," Mm. if you've got a group of kids who have been so trained to think independently. That when everybody is marching left, they march right. Come on. Then you've got a problem with takeover. <laughs> All right. 888-589-8840. We'll, All we'll right. Great. Where do we go? Let's go to Susan in Texas. Hi, Susan. Good afternoon, Brenda. Take <laughs> out your binder. Isn't go. that a great new title for your book? <laughs> Brenda, I got your binder. Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> this is your hard yes. truth, friend. Yes, Susan. I'm going to tell you a hard truth. I oh, was God bless school... you. <laughs> and y'all, I was a public school teacher, and I would not send my dog today to a public school. <laughs> and I beg everybody mm. I know to please take their child out. It's just for a little while. It's just for a little while. And my principal sat my whole grade level down in the year 2000 and said, y'all will teach this. Mm. You will follow this Mm. No Child Left Behind, which was Common Core. He said, you will do it. And we all knew it wasn't the best thing for the kids. Mm. And I would just say that people think it's, I live in a small community, and everybody thinks it's in that other school district. Mm. And it's not. Come on. Yeah. And and I was Mm. raised with an indoctrination dad. (laughs) And he'd look at those kids that were on a leash (laughs) and he'd say, my kid's never going to get kidnapped because they're holding my hand. Mm. And I would just say, (laughs) I would beg people. I mean, my Christmas card was, please let my retirement be unfunded. That would mean that my state teacher retirement would not be killing babies anymore that we would have kids that would grow up under their parents and family and they'd look at a person that was elderly and go they need to live too amen amen 
Mm, mm, thank you, on. Susan. You know, Susan, thank you so much for calling. I, I appreciate you. You're such a blessing to us personally. We really do love you. Appreciate you and your husband. Look, let me yeah. say this. She's also making an incredible point here when we talk about what our kids grow up to value and how our kids grow up to value generations. It's something there was a separation of our children in school and they all turn on each other. Right. And mm-hmm. so they're all valued based on being in this particular group in this particular herd mm-hmm. at this particular time. I could say more about that, but I know the phone lines are lit. Will the great, where do we go next? Okay. Let's go to Monica in North Carolina. Hi, Monica. Hi, how are y'all today? Doing good. Hello. Four kids, two girls, two boys, mm-hmm. and all four of them at some point I homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And my two boys went to a charter school for uh, a year each, or okay. was it two years each? I could not, the more they were there, abide by it. Mm-hmm. Um, they would mm-hmm. get on the bus as early as 6.30 in the morning because it, they had just so few buses and they had such a long route. And my kids were the, my boys were the first two to get on the bus in the morning, and they were the last two to get off in the evening. They were gone from my house wow. unless I took them and dropped them off and picked them up 12 hours a day wow. because the charter school oh, went to 5 o'clock Wow. It went from 8 to 5. And they always had homework, whether it was every night of the week, it was weekends, and it was such a liberal environment. You know, they had school T-shirts that had quotes on them, not only from Malcolm X and other things. Mm. And these kids were encouraged to memorize this stuff. Mm. And my boys were older, mm. and thankfully I had homeschooled them before, and they had good values in them. And they would come home just so frustrated. Can you believe the stuff these people were trying to make us learn? And it, it was a fight, and it was a struggle. And it honestly, it was better to let them come out of the charter school because of where I was at in life and let them go to a normal public school. And um, my youngest son ended up going to a private Christian school just because it, by then it, there was five years difference between the two boys. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, I homeschool my 15-year-old now, and just thanks to you know a family member giving her a cell phone, and when she's not with me and she's with them, she has unlimited access to social media. She's picking up on a lot of the liberalism and social ideas, even though I've got her homeschooled and in a Christian curriculum. Mm. And and it's just, and I spent a lot of years as a single mom, and I was still trying to homeschool my kids and do what was right by them in that environment. It's just, it's a fight. It really is a fight. Yes. No, it is. Let me just jump in, Monica. I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple more calls, but just to Monica's point, it is a fight. And I think if we're honest, that was one of the things that really grieved me the most. I looked at the work that I was doing here at the American Family Association and all of the information that I was uncovering. And in good conscience, for us personally, we could not continue to watch the sinister path that our culture was going in, the direction our culture was going in, and say, mm-hmm. you know what? They're going to be okay. Right. So I. It, and it's true, you know, at the end of the night, you're tired and you're trying to do homework and you're trying to get a meal on and maybe throw on a load of laundry. I, I get that. That yeah. that makes sense. But these are the times where we kind of bite, we we knuckle, it, you know, white knuckle it and we get it done mm-hmm. um, when we consider what's at stake. And yeah. I'm not trying to put any pressure on anybody. I'm just saying here is what's in front of us. This is where they want us to go. The question is, will we resist? Let's try to squeeze in one more call. Will the great. OK, let's go to Debbie in Texas. Hi, Debbie. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I um I have two children. One is a um, 
she's been in uh, petroleum engineering now for six years. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's also dyslexic. And her dyslexia hmm. story wow. is very similar to what I heard you all describe earlier. And our uh, youngest daughter is in college learning to become a sign language interpreter. Wow. And I'm so proud of them. And in their in their group of people that grew up with them in their homeschooling, I know CPAs. Mm-hmm. I know nuclear <laughs> uh, engineers. Mm-hmm. I know um, counselors, social counselors. And a number of these children had similar challenges. Yeah. ADD, the school wanted them to put on medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other topic right there. And Susan is such a hard act to follow, uh, your first <laughs> caller. But I, I hope I have added to this. I cannot tell... Our motto as a husband and wife. Oh, my goodness. I got to jump in on Debbie (laughs) because we have to go. I'm sorry. Debbie, call us back tomorrow. We'll start with Debbie's call. We'll pick up here. Until then, Lord willing. God bless.